We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, friends. This episode of Big Blue Banter is brought to you by Prize Picks. Head on over to Prize Picks and use promo code BANTER and they'll match up to $100 on a new deposit. Thank you and enjoy. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. And luckily today we're joined by Mike Herndon, who this is a long time coming for me. We've been following each other's work a lot for a long time on Twitter. He does excellent work in the same regard that you love us for, the Big Blue Banter podcast. Film, breakdowns, X's and O's, but for the Titans. So we thought no better person to have on to talk a little ball with us, get us to, uh, you know, a little more up to date on the Giants' new defensive coordinator, Shane Bowen. and. You know, Mike Herndon, we're going to tell you where he's from. He's from paulkaharsky.com. That's P-A-U-L-K-U-H-A-R-S-K-Y. I wanted to make sure I got that right, so I had to write it down. Dot com. You can find all his written work there. And then he's the co-host of the F-Words podcast. So you can find all of his uh, audio work there. And he's an excellent football mind. So we're really excited to get into this and talk a little Shane Bowen with him. And obviously, we want to get a feel for what the Giants fans can expect with their new defensive coordinator. So, Nick, you want to kick us off here? Yeah, I want to ask you, Mike, and thank you for joining us Absolutely. a little bit about the 2020 Titans, because it was a it was kind of a weird situation. Uh, Dean Pease probably poops, too, was your guy's defensive coordinator, and he just retired out of nowhere. And and uh, then he like came back like two years later with the Falcons, which was weird. But anyways, the 2020 season, you guys went, I believe, 11 and five. But Mike Vrabel was the defensive coordinator with Shane Bowen on staff. Was Shane Bowen acting as a defensive coordinator? Because I know there was a huge jump in the effectiveness in terms of advanced statistical analysis and numbers from 2020 to 2021. And I'm just trying to discern what was Shane Bowen's impact with that 2020 season that was not all that effective from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, it was kind of a weird deal. It was um, a little Belichick-y, kind of how how Vrabel operated that season, you know, Everyone thought he was going to name Shane Bowen the defensive coordinator. Him and Shane Bowen were together for a long, long time, um, going back to Ohio State. Um, and those guys uh, were were always close. And, and Bowen was always kind of viewed as like the next in line after Pease uh, retired. And, and you know, there was some um, some kind of weird stuff between Vrabel and Pease, like butting of heads that, that kind of led to that retiring and then unretiring uh, from from Dean, which was the second time he'd done that. But um, Bowen that year, he, you know, Vrabel didn't name a defensive coordinator after Pease left, but but Bowen was kind of described as the guy who was leading the defensive 
meetings. Um, so it was like Bowen was the shadow DC kind of is, is the way that, you know, we all kind of perceived things was that like, he's the DC, but they are not going to say, you know, that he's the DC. And I have no idea to this date, like why Vrabel just refused to give him the title because he gave him all the responsibilities, it seems. um, And he was calling the defense from what we understand, but they were not giving him the full title. And, And I really think part of the struggles that year had directly to do with that, that refusal to really make a clear delineation for the players, as far as like, this is who is in charge of the defense um, you know, cause I, I think there was some confusion about, oh, is Vrabel, or we need to listen to Vrabel or Bowen or what's the deal, you know, kind of, there just didn't seem to be a well-coordinated, well-organized group that year. Um, and then, like you said, 2021, they take a massive leap in effectiveness, uh, after Bowen is named the DC and, and they kind of go to a more, you know, seem like organized and, and cohesive approach to, to defense. So, um, yeah, definitely kind of a weird situation with that 2020 Titans defense and, and yeah, fans, fans still hold that against Rabel pretty considerably. So Mike, one thing I always like to ask, and, and Nick and I have asked this throughout different interviews we've had is to kind of, if you can get us started, and this is a good way, I think to set the tone with maybe an elevator pitch for what Shane Bowen's defense is and, who he is as a defensive coordinator. Cause I do believe that sometimes, you know, we can look at these defenses and break them down and it will be specific to the personnel that each coach had and what they're going to be inheriting in their new spots, but maybe a pitch for just who he is as a coordinator and then what his defense looks like. I think um, he wants to be multiple. Um, I would say he's on the complex end of things from uh, a, both coverage standpoint and blitz concept standpoint. So he, he does not blitz much as far as sending more than four. Uh, Titans were pretty consistently one of the least, uh, you know, lower blitz rate teams in the NFL. And what they really do from a pressure standpoint is they try to send, you know, they, they use simulated pressures like crazy and they, they'll send, you know, people from different areas of the defense and drop other guys into coverage. You know, Titans fans got, frustrated with Harold Landry constantly dropping into coverage. Um, but, you know, it, I feel like every fan base has that issue with these kinds of defenses. Mike McDonald dropped defensive in, you know, linemen into coverage more so than almost anybody. And, you know, they had the best defense in the NFL. So, um, but they're going to do a lot of that on the front end. And then on the back end, they run all kinds of exotic looks. Um, it's a, it's a complex scheme to operate. They rely a lot on disguise and late movement and things like that. Um, and, and from a personnel standpoint, he loves, loves, loves dime. Um, they want to run. They want to be as light as possible while still defending the run well. And the Titans were able to get away with that because they had Jeffrey Simmons and, and to some degree, Tier Tart. The Giants with Dexter Lawrence, I think, is a natural fit for that as well. He wants to run, play run defense with his front and let the secondary be light and flow into the football. So uh, I would say that's kind of the uh, – the nutshell breakdown of, of what, what Shane Bowen wants to do as a defensive coordinator. I can already hear giant fans being like, why is cave on Thibodeau dropping into coverage? Okay. It's going to, I saw that man. Cause I looked at Harold Landry's coverage and I want to say in 2021, he had like over 140 coverage yep. snaps. And I can imagine you guys ripping your hair out. And I hope that cave on Thibodeau develops into the type of player Harold Landry seems to be for the Tennessee Titans. I want to ask you one specific question about Jim Schwartz. I know he was the senior mm-hmm. defensive uh, analyst, I believe was his title. 
when Shane Bowen assumed the role as defensive coordinator in 2021. What do you believe Jim Schwartz's influence was on Shane Bowen and his overall philosophy? Because just going through the tape, I saw a lot of wide alignments, nobody in the A-gaps on third and long situations, and just rushing guys high side while trying to twist and crash the interior to just confuse the quarterback. Yeah, that that was that was really the, my biggest takeaway from that as well. And it, it, it's what Schwartz is famous for: the wide nine defense um, and, and that approach to to rushing, especially on third downs. And they they did they ran a lot more of that after Schwartz got here. Um, they they kept that this year too. Um, you know, even after Schwartz left. Uh, so I, I think that's kind of the biggest thing that he kind of brought in. Um, and, and then they they also got into more four-man fronts you know when they they first arrived here in Tennessee it was mostly a three-four uh base you know obviously really basis nickel now um but uh when they did run their base defense it was mostly three-four they've really kind of gotten away from that they were more of a four-man front team these last few years with Danico Autry playing a lot of defensive end at you know 285 pounds um so that's definitely not your traditional three-four outside linebacker kind of uh body so uh, they, they really kind of gotten to where they had like a, a four man front, but they would run, you know, kind of a heavy body at one defensive end spot. And then on the opposite side, they'd have a lighter guy like a Landry or an Arden key, uh, kind of as that opposite end. So it, it's kind of, uh, evolved, um, over the course of his time here. Can that be? Can that yeah, be discerned ahead. between strength and weakness? Did they usually put the 285 pounder on the strong side and then Landry on the weak side, or was it just kind of multiple? They really kind of played sides mostly. Like Harold, Harold Landry would mostly line up on the same side. Um, Danico Autry would most they they okay. move Autry around a good bit just because he's a versatile guy who played inside and outside for them. So he would kind of bump around, but uh, they mostly would play sides and wouldn't flip those. Uh, to the strength of the uh, of the offense for the most part. Future New York Giant Danico Waltry. I mean, think. he's still fantastic. I know he's 34 years old, but, man, he still gets after it. He is a pain in the butt to block. I want to ask you and touch a little further on something you mentioned during the elevator pitch, Mike, and that was kind of the importance in this scheme and how they like to – of the safety position and how they like to – sorry, there's like a loud motorcycle that just drove by. I hope you guys didn't hear that. Apologize to the fans. But – um. You know, I heard it that time. Yeah, you heard it. Right. I, I, I'm just going to do a quick thing. A quick aside here. God bless you. Do whatever you want. If you like driving motorcycles, it's cool. If you're in a motorcycle gang, it's cool. I like to let people do whatever they want. But when people just roll down the streets, just revving those those motorcycles, it's like, nah, nah. it's just like, what are you doing? Just what are you doing? Who are you trying to impress? No, no one here wants this in this area. So it's just like a little bit, a little bit of an aside there. I'm gonna I, I encourage anybody to go watch the South Park episode on that. Yeah, this outfit does a great job of unpacking that with Cartman. But um, let's get back to football. Let's get back to football. So you talked about how the safe. You talked a little bit about the safety position, and how he likes to disguise coverages on the back end. The Giants have a really, you know, fork in the road type decision this offseason with Xavier McKinney, a player they draft in the second round up top in the second round a few years back. Mm-hmm. Me and Nick love his tape. I know it's not flashy at times for some Giants fans, but we also feel like. You know, at times he was asked to do a lot of different things in Wink Martindale's defense that may not perfectly fit his skill set, or at least the things that he does best as a football player. And it feels like from the little I've studied so far, plus hearing you and others speak, he might actually be a really great fit for this Shane Bowen defense. So I'll talk a little bit about what you mean uh, when you say disguising coverages on the back end and the different, different things he likes to do with the safety position. 
Yeah, so I mean, they they prefer, um, and again, this goes kind of goes back to running, wanting to defend the run with your defensive front. They really like to run two high safeties, if at all possible, um, and then they like to be able to rotate out of two high into you know cover three or into invert cover two or or whatever. Like they they will run a pretty diverse um, number of coverage looks out in they, they also love quarters like that. Was, and I don't know if that was a Mike Vrabel thing. Cause that was a Mike Vrabel thing going back uh, even to Houston. Um, so I'm not sure if that's, that's going to be a Bowen thing too, but he loved quarters coverage here. And that was something where like, you know, I feel like to run quarters well, you have to have defensive backs that are great communicators. Um, and the Titans had some of those, but they didn't, they never had enough of those here. And they also dealt with a lot of like change in that position, people cycling through, you know, obviously they had a, a Dory Jackson who you guys are familiar with early in uh, Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan. And then they, they transitioned into Christian Fulton and, and some of these other guys that have come later. And, and I've, always felt like despite their want to play quarters they never have done very well with it because yeah. they just they have bus way too often running that defense but to get to this the point about safety specifically you know they want interchangeable safeties they they really don't play like a strong and a free you know most people don't nowadays but Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard who were the safeties here for the vast majority of Bowen's tenure um really were interchangeable I and mean, they they would play up and you know they would play back they were both you know kind of rolling down into the box at times rolling back into single high looks uh those kind of things so um you know he will have somebody who he kind of designates as more of his like third down tight end man coverage guy uh, who he's going to put over a tight end, you know, like an Evan Ingram or like, you know, Travis Kelsey or one of these guys that, uh, you know, is a third down target frequently. They'll, they'll pay a lot of attention and they'll generally have somebody who's like designated for that role. Um, but he's going to play a ton of three safeties. So like big dime is one of his favorites. Um, he's going to play three safeties over three corners, uh, do all kinds of things out of that. So, you know, the Titans, when they were at their best defensively here, you know, they would have Omani Hooker, Kevin Byard, and then they would be able to bring in like uh, Andrew Adams is a guy that they had a lot of success with in that role. Who's like, I mean, he's a nobody player, but they were able to plug him in and get really good production out of him uh, kind of as that third safety uh, in this unit. So um, when you can have three good safeties kind of rolling through there, that that's something that he'll probably use a lot, I would imagine. Um, so to me, like, Certainly McKinney's a very good player and they did value safeties here. Um, you know, they paid Kevin Byard, they paid Amani Hooker, uh, you know, good money um during during the tenure that that Bowen was uh over this defense. So I think they value safety and I think McKinney is a good one. So what's going on? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Big Blue Banter listeners, I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. Oh, my friends, you know what time it is. You're hungry, you're starving, and you desperately need pizza. You should get the best pizza on the market. And that is, of course, Little Caesars. Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL part of your game day. Order online during the Pizza Pizza pregame all day on NFL game days and even on Pro Bowl Sunday and get ready for some football fun and cheesy delicious pizza. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. If you run quarters and palms, and that's what Shane Bowen wants to do with the New York Giants, I think it's imperative to resign Xavier McKinney because I don't know how else you're going to implement that system with with Dane Belton as your second guy. And that's not a knock on Dane Belton, but what you just said, coupled with the personnel, you want to roll a lot of three safeties. You have a guy on your roster right now who was a team captain. I feel like you have to retain a player like Xavier McKinney. But I want to ask you one more question about the safety position. When 
the Titans traded Kevin Byard to Philadelphia. Was there a drop-off in coverage because you guys run a lot of those palms in those quarters? There really wasn't a, a big drop-off. And frankly, I, you know, I felt like Kevin Byard had kind of been on the decline for a couple years in that the foot speed was never like his game. Um, he was always an instinctive player, a reactive player, a guy that kind of knew what the offense was doing before you know anyone else did and was able to get to where he needed to be because of that. But he had lost the step, the few steps that he did have, and just from a foot speed standpoint, was not able to keep up with guys. And and defense or offenses became aware of that. Like he was targeted far more over the last two years than he ever had been um, during his time here. So when he left, I mean, they they got more athletic at the safety position, um, and I felt like they the defense really did not drop off after Bayard left. Um, they, you know, Hooker to his credit, is a really good communicator as well. And, and his biggest problem has been staying healthy and on the field. Um, but he was on the field down the stretch and was kind of able to fill into that Bayard role to a large degree. So I really didn't feel like they missed him too much. Um, and I, I feel like they did play less quarters, though, after that point, um, that they kind of dialed some of that back because, you know, they were playing guys like Kayvon Wallace, guys like um, – uh, Terrell Edmonds at the other safety spot who were very new to the team and and just, you know, you don't really want to be doing that with new corners and new, new safeties. Uh, not a good situation. So. Yeah. One thing I want to talk to you a little bit about Mike is there are, well, there's two things I think that are somewhat of the calling cards of a Shane Bowen defense, or at least so far of what we've seen on film and a lot of, you know, big talking points for Giants fans. And the first would be, you know, the red zone defense, they were the number one ranked red zone defense from a touchdown percentage uh, in 2023, 37% touchdown rate allowed. And this was during a season that was in, in a lot of ways a down season um, after, you know, two straight, which I want to get to a little bit later, but two straight draft classes that weren't really very fair to Shane Bowen, in my opinion, at least from a Titan standpoint, I didn't really give him much to work with from a draft capital standpoint. But what's kind of the secret to why his red de- red zone defenses have been so stout? Yeah, they, they are. um that is kind of a calling card for the Titans uh, over the last few years. They are, they've been situationally excellent. And really that, that translates to offense as well. They spend a lot of time on that, um, you know, both red zone offense and red zone defense in practice and their approach and everything like that. Uh, you know, the offense was not good this year, but, but in previous seasons, if you go back and look at the Titans offensive red zone ranks, they, they ranked it either like, first or second in the NFL and touchdown conversion percentage for something like three straight years, I believe um, if I'm remembering my numbers correctly there, but uh, they, they spend a lot of time on it. Um, I think they're very prepared from a, a film standpoint of, we know what these teams want to get into in the red zone. We're prepared for it. We have a plan for it. They're very organized in their approach for that under Vrabel, which was one of the things I liked about Vrabel. I, and I thought Vrabel was, a good head coach, you know, it sounds like, you know, not to get derail this into variable talk, but <laughs> oh, please, uh, yeah. most of the reason he was uh, uh, fired here was, was more personality clashes with the front office with, you know, ownership and stuff like that than it was, you know, really his performance as a coach, although they lost a lot of football games too the last two years. But um, anyways, getting back to that, I, I thought, you know, what, one of the calling cards of this team during that tenure was always situational preparedness. And so third down red zone felt like they were always very good. They were always very prepared. Um, and, and he had a lot of exotic looks that he would throw, especially on third downs. Um, you know, it always seemed like they were mixing things up, not, not 
you know, there wasn't really like a pet play necessarily like that. Okay. Here's third and eight. I know that they're going to bring this uh, defensively. Like they would just mix, like it was just a mixed bag. They, they would have new coverage concepts, new like rush concepts that it feels like they would bring out almost every week, um, which I was always very impressed with. I, I thought they were extremely multiple defensively and, and just hard to prepare for, which you saw in some of the big games. If you look at their track record against, Kansas City against Buffalo against uh, you know Baltimore some of the better offenses in the AFC um, they really gave the Cincinnati they gave those teams fits uh, from a defensive standpoint consistently during Bowen's tenure here I'm so glad that you brought that up because something we we discussed with Wink Martindale was he has this philosophy that everybody around the NFL knows like pressure breaks pipes but one one thing one aspect of his coaching that I don't believe he he received enough credit for was his ability to throw curveballs and was his ability to have a changeup. And I was just about to ask you about Shane Bowen and, and if he had a more predictable defense. So I'm glad that you touched on that. But just watching some of the tape, I saw I saw him drop eight a couple times in the red zone with Jeffrey Simmons dropping into coverage. And it wasn't just to be a middle hook defender. It didn't seem like it was also to contain the quarterback is that something that so I only saw, I saw that in two games specifically I was against the Texans I want to say on the the first matchup because you guys played them uh, twice like at the end of the season and then there was another uh, maybe the Colts I saw that happen a few times was that something that that happened where Jeffrey Simmons would drop off in the coverage and do you think they're gonna put 350 pound Dexter Lawrence back into coverage in the red zone to help the team <laughs> I, I think they will actually um, because that is something that they like to do so they love to drop eight in the low red zone particularly um, and just really clog up all the passing mm -hmm. lanes uh, tier tart there was a, a huge play um, that he made it was against the Redskins uh, not Redskins commanders in uh, 2022 I believe um, it, they're in the low red zone it's the very end of the game fourth quarter I think the uh, Titans were up six or, or four or something like that I can't remember the exact score but uh, basically the the commanders need a touchdown to win the game and uh, tier tart you know 300 and I I think he was listed at like 310. There's no way he was actually playing at 310. <laughs> like that dude was 340 plus for sure. Um, but absolute bear of a nose tackle for the Titans. Uh, drops into coverage on, on you know, a, <laughs> a low red zone play and actually makes a PBU. And, you know, of course he gets up and puts the seatbelt on and, you know, does all that <laughs> stuff, which was great to see. But, uh, yeah, they will do that a good bit. Um, and, and it's super effective for them. And like you said, it it is – both to clog lanes and to put yourself in a situation where the quarterback cannot just step up and run through uh, the middle of the pocket for an easy walk-in touchdown. Like that, that gives your linebackers the ability to get a little bit of depth uh, because they're not also worried about, you know, protecting that front of the goal line there. I was just about to say that because I saw the mic on a lot of those would take, because a lot of these came against empty sets as well, would take the three and carry them all the way to the back back of the end zone and pass him off to the safety if that's where the route took him. So it just seemed like there were a lot of moving parts on the back end of that defense. But I wanted to ask you again, Mike, real quick about the run defense. We brought up how they want to play up front, right? Mm -hmm. They want the run defense to be handled up front. Can you uh, expound on that a little bit? And also, can you discuss how stacking linebackers, meaning putting linebackers directly behind the defensive lineman, how that was utilized by Bowen's defense? Yeah, they, they love to do that. They love to – their linebacker profile really during the time that, that they were here was was smaller. They wanted small, fast guys. I mean, really the best linebacker 
that they had uh, during Bowen's tenure was David Long, who was 227 pounds um, and like 5'11". I mean, he's tiny for a linebacker, but he could fly. Uh, he was really hard to get your hands on, um, especially if you didn't get a clean shot if you're an offensive lineman. So those kind of players, they had a lot of success with because they had Jeffrey Simmons, they had Tier Tart up front. Those guys were excellent at controlling the point in the middle. Danico Autry was really tough to move off the ball uh, on the edge. So when they went heavier with their four-man fronts, you know, they had some looks where they would roll – uh you know Autry out to one end and then you know last year they would have like Demarcus Walker or uh, Mario Edwards Jr who are both bigger uh defensive end types on the other side I mean that's a four-man front you're just not getting any movement off the the line of scrimmage and your linebackers are flowing to the ball so like those were when they were at their best uh what that defense would look like from a, a early down run defense standpoint um and they were I mean last year you know 2022 or yeah, 2022, uh, <laughs> uh, they were by far the best run defense in the NFL. I mean, that, that group, they were immovable up front. Um, you know, nobody ran on them with any sort of success. I think Saquon Barkley had a really good game that first game of the year, uh, and then they gave up nothing the rest of the year. Like, really that was literally... one run in that game anyway. It was like, yeah, one that big, big chunk. Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, I think there were two. Yeah. Um, so they popped a few leaks in that one, but then after that, it was nothing. Like it was just locked up. No, I, I think most teams didn't run for more than like sixty yards on them for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, they they do like to run, even even on early downs, even against heavier personnel packages, they do like to run a lighter front. So you know, four down, two linebackers, five defensive backs. Um, but that is because they they like to control the the line of scrimmage with that defensive line keep keep offensive linemen from getting to the second level and the, letting those yeah. linebackers flow the ball i wanted to ask you about something mike that was in some ways a staple during wink martindale's tenure as giants defensive coordinator and it was the idea that like there were certain types of quarterbacks that gave him more trouble gave his system more trouble for example it felt like Wink Martindale struggled against the faster processing quarterbacks. And obviously some of this, you know, makes sense. He blitzes a lot and that makes sense against quarterbacks who can beat the blitz. Was there a specific type of quarterback who gave Shane Bowen and his scheme the most trouble? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I, I guess I would say it was probably about the same that, that it was the quicker, the guys that would get the ball out quickly. Um, you know, those were the ones that typically would hurt the Titans more so than like running quarterbacks really just did not give the Titans any trouble. Um, they had some of the best performances against Lamar Jackson that we've seen. Um, you know, you think back to the playoffs in what was it, 2019, oh, yeah. which would have been pre Bowen as far as defensive coordinator, but still the same defensive system, um, you know, but they continued that afterwards. Josh Allen really struggled against them most of the time. Um, he had one huge game, but there was uh, several others where, you know, he just was not, he just was not able to get anything going. He wasn't able to break the long runs. They, they're very disciplined about, you know, their rush plan and, and, you know, having, you know, rush lanes and things like that from, you know, a coordinated approach in the pass rush, I think is something that they harped on a ton, especially those weeks where they were playing running backs that they knew could hurt them with their legs. So to me, it was always like uh, Ben Roethlisberger was a guy that, that would give them trouble. Like, cause he just was catching it and throwing it. Right. Like, I mean, it was not, yeah. there was in, in the Titans struggled 
Yeah, and one of the things that that they would gripe about, I like tight ends would gripe about, is playing too far off the ball with their corners. And, and I yep. know that's like a common complaint for all teams yeah. for to some degree, but it was somewhat earned just because they they against those, especially against those types of quarterbacks, they would allow too many easy access throws um, underneath, and and it drove drove people crazy because it was a little bit of a, a bend but don't break approach, um, and, and expecting that at some point we're going to get you on a negative play in the run game. And then we're going to be able to turn the dogs loose and, and really kind of mess you up and get you off the field. So they, they did not want to give up X plays and, and it was kind of that, that approach to defense. Um, but for quarterbacks that could get the ball out quick, they were able to hurt them a little bit more. I wanted to ask you real quick about just the Titans overall sentiment of, of Shane Bowen. Like yeah. how did, how did the fan base feel about him? The fan base, um, I think, had a complicated relationship with Shane Bowen because of that first year where he wasn't really the D.C., but everyone considered him the D.C. and all that, we, like we talked about before. Well, he kind of got blamed for a lot of that because it was like, oh, man, they let Dean Pease go and the defense completely fall, fell apart under this new guy. Um, well, then they get some better pieces in for for Bowen to work with because they had major personnel issues that year, too. I mean, they tried to sign Vic Beasley for <laughs> like $10 million for God's sakes. And I think the guy played like three games and then was cut mid season. Um, But they they signed Jadavion Clowney who did nothing for them. Uh, It was just a a bust of a a season as far as defensive personnel went. But um, I think Titans fans are not like, there's also the whole relationship with Jim Schwartz and Jim Schwartz comes in and the defense gets better and a lot of people gave credit to Jim Schwartz for that because a lot of Titans fans, you know, Jim Schwartz was the defensive coordinator here during the best run in franchise history. So like they were already predisposed to liking Jim Schwartz. So like, I think Titans fans generally have a pretty negative view of Shane Bowen, but I don't think that's really fair at all. Just as somebody who has watched this defense closely, uh, has talked to other people that kind of know what, what he does and doesn't do. Um, I think, his ideas and the way he wants to run his defense are kind of on the cutting edge of the NFL, frankly. Um, and I don't know that he always had the personnel to back that up because he, even like Harold Landry's a good edge rusher. Jeffrey Simmons is a great player, but I mean, you had Byard on the tail end of his career. You had a bunch right. of corners that were just bad uh, during his time here and in the linebacker crew. I mean, outside of David long, they, they've just been kind of a rotating group uh in there so it's i think it's been he's not been set up for the best success by by this franchise uh during his time here but yeah it's a complicated relationship with with bowen because of some of those factors with titans fans mike because i think it's what like when i look at this defense and i look at you know just the last two draft classes specifically for the titans they provided bowen with very little draft capital on the defensive side of the ball and you look at some of the rest of the roster here and it's like Across the board, that like you, you mentioned some names. Obviously, Jerry Simmons is one of the best players in football, but across the board, there's not that much talent in my mind, at least in the secondary and the second level. I think it's fair to suggest, like sometimes people, I feel like this is used as an excuse by fans, but I think in this case, it's fair to say, like he's done a lot with with very little on the defense side of the ball, in my mind, at least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is 
like I, I strongly believe like good players make good coaches, right? Like yeah. primarily um, there's, there's certain things that coaches can do to help, you know, put guys in position and stuff like that. But if you don't have the horses, you don't have the horses. And, and um, I thought Bowen did a lot with not very much. Cause if you look at the production, they got to like guys like Mario Edwards, guys like Demarcus Walker. Yeah. Um, when they had to plug those guys in, there was times at in 2022 that, I think literally the only healthy starters they had on defense were Roger McCreary and Kevin Byard. That was it. Nobody else was out there. Like everyone was banged up. Jeffrey Simmons has been really kind of hurt both of the past two years too, for big chunks of the year. Like even if he's been playing, he's been kind of gimping along on, on a bad ankle. So there's a lot of stuff like that, that I just feel like they didn't always have the, the, they, they certainly didn't have the best players on the field. Uh, in a lot of these matchups. So I, I do think there's something to that. Mike, with the edge po- position specifically, it's a hot topic for Giants fans because we have Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, two young guys we invested high draft capital in. Aziz Ojolari can't stay healthy. Kayvon Thibodeau, we like Kayvon Thibodeau. We want to see more from Kayvon Thibodeau. is probably the best way to sum that up. I want to ask you, what type of edge rushers are the most desirable for this system? Because I think the Giants are going to make an investment in the edge. And, and you brought up Autry. Autry seems somewhat like a unicorn. Right. And the Giants might not be able to bring him in. I'm hoping that the Giants can land someone like that, which is crazy because he's a 34 year old free agent. Why am I hoping for that? But it could really help what the system is. So what type of, of uh, edges do you think would thrive with the with the uh, philosophy that Shane Bowen has within that defense? So I, I do think I do think Autry is a little bit of a unicorn um, because I, he, he is like. Like I said, he's like 285 pounds, but he's got super long arms and he's extremely powerful and violent <laughs> with his hands. He's got some of the heaviest hands for on a 280 pound dude you'll ever see. Um, so he is a little bit of a unicorn and he's a guy that at, like at age 33 is still continuing to get better yeah. somehow. I mean, like he just, he's incredible. Um, but I think if you ask Shane Bowen, like if you gave him true serum and told him, you know, hey, you can build a, a edge rusher in a lab. I think he'd want someone who looks a lot like Harold Landry, to be honest. Um, maybe a little bit more power, uh, you know, a little bit more punch as far as like a, a bull rush, if you could, if you could dream it up. But, but Landry was such an important piece for their defense, and they the way that they used him and they, they played him off the ball. Uh, you know, we already talked about him dropping into coverage. I think he dropped into coverage more than like any Ed Dresher in the NFL for most of his time here. And it's because he was actually good at it too. Like, it's not just a, a scheme thing. It's because Landry could actually do it. Um, and he's extremely athletic, but the, the thing that really makes him stand out to me is he is great working off of these picks and, and twists that the, the Titans love to run up front. Like most of their pressures were generated off of games up front like they, they very few just pure pin your ears back and like my guy's better than your guy wins as far as like a pass rushing standpoint Simmons would give you those Autry would sometimes give you those on the inside uh but the edge rushers were not doing that um but Landry was able to generate a ton of pressure a ton of sacks uh during his his healthy years here by running off of these picks by Danico Autry, these picks by Jeffrey Simmons, they were really good at coordinating those uh, rushes and a lot of times timing it up to where you've got, you know, a quarterback looking to step up in the pocket, but he, you know, it, he runs right in or he steps right into Harold Landry looping in behind the, the defensive tackle. Um, so that's where a lot of their sacks came from over the last few years. So I, I think, he's going to want somebody who's going to be able to be that versatile chess piece that can, you know, 
be used on those loops and stunts and and drop into coverage and and do all those things while also you know providing a good enough you know edge presence from the run game so Landry is a a good player for them and and even if he's not like the best pure pass rusher he's a uh he's a very effective player for the Titans from the high side though he's somebody who can just bend right underneath contact flatten and then just turn to the tightest yes. corners yes so, like Dan, that sounds like someone like Aziz Ojolari, but Ojolari doesn't really have that type of pop either. Right. And I don't really know if he's somebody who can drop into coverage. The only reason I brought that question up specifically is because this is a deep edge rushing class, and I think the I think it's very important that the New York Giants add another edge rusher. They can't just rely on these two, which is unfortunate. I mean, Jihad Ward, who seems like just by your description is the very very diet Coke version of Danico Autry with without the type of pop, just like a 285 pound edge rusher. Like he's somebody who ate yeah. a ton of snaps here with the New York Giants and now he's out the door. Who's going to fill that void? It's just I I think it's um something the Giants have to focus on, but they got a lot to focus on this offseason like <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. oh, <laughs> Titans <too. laughs> We're yeah. in that boat with you. Of course, it'll be interesting to see where they go at edge. I want to ask you a little bit about game plan specific stuff with Bone, but I do want to say one thing that that I want to follow up on because I didn't have it in front of me at the time when I mentioned how little you know how barren the coverage has been in my mind, at least from a draft talent standpoint. From for Shane Bowen, I mean the entire 2023 draft class for the Titans was all offensive players. I don't know if I've ever really even seen that. And then yeah. if you go back the year before to 2022, they gave him a corner in round two and that was it there was there was another db that drafted in the late sixth round and yeah. a linebacker in the sixth round but i mean you're going two straight draft classes with one decent capital investment in, in the defense side of the ball i've never really seen that it's just kind of the here here's what here's what you have to work with and, and do your best so it'll be interesting to see i feel like the giants are going to offer him more talent on the defensive side of the ball I, I think it's hard not to when you look at those last two draft classes and obviously you know titans had their reasons they want to rebuild their offense but Speaking of game-specific stuff with Shane Bowen, one thing I did appreciate about Wink Martindale during his time with the Giants is you would see specific game plans to take away opposing number one wide receivers. He did it against uh, Stephon Diggs when he played Buffalo this year, and obviously more you know famously for Giants fans, he did it against Justin Jefferson when the Giants played the Vikings. Is that something Giants fans can or expect or should expect to see from Bowen? Are there some game plans where it's going to be you know take away that number one? Yeah, a lot of. Uh... A lot of the Titans focus on, you know, if they if there was a big gun, you know, kind of in a in a opponent's arsenal there, they they you know, one hundred percent would design the game plan around taking that guy away. Um, and they've been pretty effective at it at, at times over the last couple of years. I mean, there's games that I can remember where, you know, Tyreek Hill, they just completely bottled him up, took him away. Uh, you know, both with the Chiefs and and the Dolphins, um, frankly, this this year. Um, so yeah, I think he's, his approach is generally, um, you know, they don't travel corners a ton, that kind of thing, but they will pay special attention and they will bracket guys on third downs and things like that. And that, that's really kind of the biggest thing. Um, if there's somebody that's like a third down safety blanket, uh, for a quarterback, they will bracket them almost, almost every time. Like it, it is, it is something that, that shows up a ton, um, you know, whether it's it's a true bracket or whether it's just, you know, there's extra eyeballs on that guy. Like, it, it's very clear that those those defenses are coached that, you know, hey, you know, Justin Jefferson or whoever it is, is not going to be the guy that gets the ball on third downs. Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that is definitely something that that he showed a good bit. One more thing on uh, just personnel in general. Wink Martindale liked to use a lot of different people 
in his defense. So if you were like a third linebacker, you might find the field. Is that something that that Shane Bowen does, Mike? Is does he kind of reach deep into his depth to keep guys fresh and then rotate them in the defense depending on the situation? Not a ton, honestly. Um, you know, like a lot of times during the the time Bowen was was in charge here, the third linebacker was would either not see the field at all or would you know maybe a handful of snaps. So maybe uh, maybe maybe I should rephrase. Maybe not focus on linebacker, but say yeah. defensive line. Maybe or yeah. even safety, for instance. Yeah, they they did. Um, now I, I will say so. Like Harold Landry, we already talked about his importance to the Titans' defense. His snap rates over the last five years have been ridiculous. Um, like he he plays mm-hmm. like ninety percent of the Titans' snaps. Like barely comes off the field, which is you know tough for an edge rusher. Um, you know Simmons is up there too. Like Simmons plays eighty plus percent of snaps. Um, so you know, they did rotate guys to some degree. Um, you know, you'd see like, and they almost did it kind of like as hockey line changes, you know, (laughs) they would have like, all right, well, this series we're going to give to the backups, uh, until we get to third down or something like that. And and then we'll bring in our, our horses for that. But, um, but it would be like one out of every four or five series, um, that they would just go to, you know, all right, we're going to go with, with, you know, Kyle Pecco and you know, whoever else uh, this time around. So it's um, yeah, it, I would say he probably rotates less than your average defensive coordinator. Um, they kind of stuck with their horses for the most part uh, here and, and, you know, until they couldn't go or whatever, but you know, cornerbacks, you know, secondary, they don't rotate really at all unless there's performance issues. So, or injury issues. All right, Mike. Um, I've got nothing more on the defense side of the ball. Nick, do you have any other questions there? I got one other unrelated defense question I want to run by Mike. Get to Will Levis. Yeah. So, <laughs> Mike, I, I, I want to get, I want to talk a little Will Levis with you because I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I just didn't see it with Levis on his college tape. Now, to be fair, I didn't watch any of his 2023 tape, though, or his 2022 tape, I should say. Yeah. Though I was told that's worse than the 2021 tape. The 2021 was. tape that was supposed to be the impressive tape is the one I watched because of Wondell Robinson. And I just, quite frankly, didn't see it at all. I personally didn't even see, like, even the calling card stuff for him. The, the arm talent to me wasn't what it was supposed to be. But then I actually had a chance to evaluate his first NFL game for uh, Beyond the Box score with CBS Sports. And I was, like, shocked. I was like, this dude looks great. Like, what, what is this? This is not the guy I saw in Kentucky at all. Obviously, that um, didn't really carry over, at least statistically speaking, to the rest of his season. But I didn't watch any of the tape besides that first game. So I want to get your takeaway on what you saw on film from from Levis as a rookie, what your overall evaluation of his of his college tape was, and where your projection is moving forward with him. Yeah, so I mean, I was not a big Levis guy coming out of Kentucky either. I had him uh, fourth among the the quarterbacks last year. Um, and, and look, they, they took him what 33, I think overall. Yep. So I, I was totally okay with the, the kind of home run cut there at that point in the draft, given that he you know lingered on the board that long. And, and we'd seen enough from Malik Willis to know that like, he probably was not going to be the guy uh, to succeed Tannehill. So I was okay with them taking him. This rookie season was like super hard to evaluate evaluate for me because like there was flashes of like oh my god this is this dude has real talent because like that falcons game the four touchdowns obviously but like i mean he was that was his first nfl start he looked 
fantastic. And, and that throw that he made to Nick Westbrook Akine in that that was in insane. That game, that was one of the best throws un- of the season. Like any uh, unbelievable throw. Like there, there's maybe five quarterbacks in the league that yeah. make that throw. Um, and you know, for him to hit that in his first start, and it's like, and that was his fourth touchdown. I'm like, golly, yeah. this guy might actually be something. And then you go into like, you know, Pittsburgh, he looked okay. Like it was up and down. Like there were some wild throws in that game too, but uh, you know, it was a little bit up more uneven. Um, and then later in the season, you get a little pop from that Miami game where he, he leads the big comeback and looked really good doing it, uh, you know, in a huge clutch situation and everything. But then there was also just some like stinker games, like the game in Jacksonville. There's a, you know, the Houston game where he just does not look comfortable at all. And look, the Titans did him zero favors. I, I know yeah. you guys have offensive line issues too. The Titans combined left tackles this season. They played four guys there over the course of the season. So Andre Diller, Jalen Duncan, uh, I think Dylan Radins had a game there, and then Nicholas Petit Frere had a game there. Those four guys combined gave up 25 sacks and 92 pressures this season. You talking about Evan Neal? The left tackle (laughs) position alone gave up that. And I was looking at like – because uh, Tyron Smith obviously is a uh, going to be a pending free agent, and and some of the Titans coaching staff has ties to to Tyron, Bill Callahan, um, and I was like, you know, the the same amount of pass or, or uh, yeah, pass protecting snaps, he gave up eleven pressures total compared to ninety two. So like that's Great. what they were working with uh, at the tackle spot, um, and. Like they did not put Will Elvis in the best like position to succeed because he also only had one receiver. Traylon Burks has been a massive disappointment. Um, you know, they really don't have anybody besides uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who, you know, still was getting it done at, at 31 years old last year. But Levis kind of locked on to him a lot. I, I felt like um, almost out of necessity. So I don't really like. I kind of don't blame him for doing right. that, but at times his decision making w- wasn't great because. He was like, all right, I'm just throwing this Hopkins whether he's open or not. Um, So, but I don't know what to make of that. Like, is that, okay, he's not a great decision maker, which I think I saw on his college tape too. So I'm inclined to believe that. And, and, you know, we'll see whether Brian Callahan can get him to a different level from that standpoint. But, you know, or is that he knew pressure was going to be there in, you know, two seconds and he only has one wide receiver who he trusts to catch the football. So right. um, it's it's a really interesting uh, evaluation if you just look at like the course of the season, because there are games where he looks like the guy that I was worried he was going to be when he came out of college. And there's games where he looks like the guy that like Mel Kuyper thought he was going to be coming out of college as like, you know, one of the, or or arguably the best quarterback in the class. So um, I, I, I'm interested, like he's going to get a year, right? Like he's going to get this year as the starter. Um, They're going to try to, you know, fix the offensive line. They, you know, brought in Bill Callahan. I think that's huge for them. Um, You know, they're going to throw some, some draft capital, some free agent money around trying to fix that offensive line at a receiver. um, Certainly. And we'll see, like, I, I think we'll see. Yeah. Cause it, it's just, it was almost hard to, I mean, the, the offense didn't look good with Ryan Tannehill either. And we've seen yeah, Tannehill true. have good offenses yeah. when he's been given good personnel here. So like, right. I don't know. I, I, I'm really at a loss with Levis right now. I think he's um, 
a fiery competitor. I think he has like his mind and heart in the right spot as far as like wanting to be the leader of this team, wanting to like, I, I do think he's obsessed with being a great quarterback, which I think is one of the things that, that I most want out of a quarterback is, is a guy that's like got that kind of sickness. Um, and I think he's got it. It's just whether or not like, he can block out some of the intrusive thoughts that seem to pop yeah. into his yeah. mind sometimes when he's in the pocket. And that's Hopefully. why it's so hard to evaluate these quarterbacks and project them because Nick and I always like to refer to what you just referred to at the end is really just the foundation and the baseline. You, yeah. you need it to be a great quarterback, but it doesn't guarantee you anything. And it really doesn't get you anywhere. Like you need, cause we have the same thing with Daniel Jones. He's the hardest worker. He's in the building first. He's in the building last, but like, is that going to help him process the field post snap? Is that going to help him get into the right checks pre-snap? Is that going to help his ball placement, his velocity? No, it's not going to help any of that stuff, unfortunately. So, yeah. like, you know, like, it's great. It's a foundation. And if you don't have it, you you know, you run into the Jamarcus Russells or the or the uh, Jake Lockers of the world, like, who just, like, you know, don't have their mind for it. Or, Jay, or you know, Josh Rose and all those people who, are like, their head's not fully in it, which, yeah, mm -hmm. you have no chance then. But having it alone, like these days, the days of me being like leaning on these things, like, you know, he's the hardest worker. And like, he's has great things. I I've gone so past that point with quarterbacks. I'm like, yes. all right, great. I need it, but it doesn't get me anywhere. Really. It's yeah, a foundation. And, yeah. It's a foundation. And I've become like obsessed with this uh, quote that I saw from like, you know, Brian Callahan. Uh, there was a piece from uh, Dan Pompey in the athletic about Brian Callahan and, all of his, you know, interactions with various quarterbacks. Cause he, you know, he spent time around Rich Gannon, yeah. Peyton Manning, Matt Stafford, Joe Burrow, like all these different guys and what he learned from them, what he picked up from each guy along the way, which he's got a fascinating like background. Yeah. Um, but the, there's a point in there where he, he talks about Gannon. One of the things that Callahan says he learned from Gannon was that great throws don't make a great quarterback. Great decisions do. Yep. And it's making consistently the right decision is what separates these guys. And like, there's just no way to know what, who's going to be able to do that. Right. I like know. that's why this is so hard because you know, you got the S two score and we'll let right. knock that out of the park. And you're like, and Oh, you watch a college good. tape and you're like, none of this shit is going to happen at the NFL level. This game is completely different. The rules are completely changed. The system yeah. is nothing like what you'll see. So you're like, and people always ask us, like, can you tell us how these quarterbacks look as processors? And I'm just going to tell, like, you know, I, I tell them all the time and we're going to do our best Nick and I, when we get to the date, but a lot of what they're processing at the college level is not what they're going to be processing at the NFL level or anywhere close. Exactly. Yeah. It's the schemes are just completely different. Yep. You know, like you said, the rules are completely different and, and even how they communicate plays good. and things like that's completely right. That too. Stuff. Right. The, the responsibility of the quarterback is completely different, too. Yeah. yeah so it's potassium tough. helps the brain, though. This guy <laughs> eats true. full bananas. So, oh, uh, yeah. Then he eats full bananas, yeah. mayo and the coffee. You know, but, yeah. <laughs> but Mike, Mike, yeah, it's a weird guy. Mike, you're right, though, dude. He needs a little bit more help. He doesn't have Wandale. All he has is nuke. Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> Nuke. Dan, you want to yeah, no, explain yourself? <laughs> no, I thought it was Nuke for a while. I know it's Nuke now because it's like a Nuke, <laughs> like a nuclear miss. Look, I got that one wrong, Nick. You're going to have a couple that you get right here and there. But for the most part, those pronunciations have gone in my favor and everyone knows I, that. I really don't Mike. believe that's true, Dan. I don't know why you're I bring it You're the, you're the, in, you're the guy podcast who. Because the <laughs> listeners are going to love it. You're the guy who thought Marine Corps was Marine Corps. Like you can't live that one down. That back up. We don't have to bring that back up. That was a dark <laughs> moment in my life. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's Mike Herndon. You can find all his written work on paulkaharski.com. You should follow him on Twitter because then you can get that. So I don't have to re respell out that name. And you can find him on Twitter as just Mike Herndon NFL. He stole my Dan Schneier NFL thing that I that I created like when I was. I 
just to, getting into you, the you thing. Were my, you were my inspiration there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I kind of just wish it was my name, though. I don't even want that NFL anymore. But you can't can't make any changes on Twitter without like losing your account. So I won't be doing that, and you shouldn't either. You can also find him on the F Words podcast. That's where you're going to hear him. And obviously, as you can see from today, he knows a lot of football. He could talk X's and O's, all the stuff. So look, if you are Titans fans or you just want to hear more good football talk, that's where you go. You can and you read about it too. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, appreciate you guys having me, and uh, yeah, fun to talk Bowen. Good luck with him. I, I, I really like him. I think he's yeah, a good I'm excited too.